in our newsletter at the very bottom of it is our mission statement. And it states, the mission of the Hendersonville Church of Christ is to love and glorify God, promote spiritual growth in His family, and reflect Jesus by serving and teaching others. Uh, This was a mission statement that our elders came up with several years ago that really does, in so many ways, encapsulate what God has called us to be as His people here in this community. Back about four years ago, 2019, actually five years ago now, uh, we wanted to try and, and encapsulate that mission statement in what we just called a little motto. And so we got together and we brainstormed and came up with the phrase, join the journey. And we spent 2019 talking about what does it mean to join the journey and what has God called us to be as his people on this journey that we take with him. And and then, of course, COVID hit in in 2020 and then, you know, everything just kind of got chaotic for a while. And, And so we're coming back to that theme as we enter into 2024. Now, I love this concept of join the journey because it simply states that all of us are invited to join a journey with God. And as fellow believers here at Hendersonville, we want anyone who wants to explore what it means to journey with God to come and be a part of our church family. As I have stated in the past, if you don't even believe in God, but you've got questions, you're wanting to explore spirituality, come and join us. We welcome you. If you're someone who is maybe classified as a nun, N-O-N-E, that's a a classification now, those who don't claim any faith at all, but you're still interested in what is this thing called Christianity? Come and be a part of us. We'd love to have you to join us as we're trying to figure out what it means to be followers of Jesus the Messiah. And, And if you come from a different faith heritage, I know that in a church this large, we've got people that come from all different types of spiritual backgrounds. I know that. We want to know that you're welcome here at our church. Come and explore what the Bible has to say because all we want to be are people who follow the teachings of Jesus as they're outlined in the Word of God. And we would love for you to come and explore that with us. So join the journey. Back about four months ago, we got together in 101 down the hall here next to our offices And we got together in the entire ministerial staff and we began to talk about where do we want to go in 2024. And we spent literally days. I mean, every week we would get together for two or three hours and we would talk about and brainstorm. I mean, how can we make 2024 a great year for the Hendersonville Church of Christ and for our community? And and we get a whiteboard and this is the result of our brainstorming. I mean, it started out, first of all, I mean... The very first week, Blake, I think we maybe had three or four things up there. It wasn't much. I mean, we were throwing out ideas. I'm like, okay, here's what I'm thinking. And then John Michael would say, well, have you ever thought about going this direction? And then William would say, maybe this is the direction we ought to think about. And and we just brainstormed. And and we eventually came up with a theme that we're going to launch starting next week. But I want to transition to that theme today called Journey Life. And basically what we're going to do this year is we're going to focus more on what what do we do on a daily basis. Tim brought up about the fact that we begin every day anew, and we do. And so we want to spend 2024 by dealing with what it's like to walk daily 
with God. Now you may notice the subtitle, Lessons from the Old Testament People of Faith. What we decided to do was to look in 2024 at Old Testament subject matter when it relates to this daily journey with God, transition in December by looking at the life of Mary as Mary transitioned all of us from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant in the birth of Jesus Christ, and then spend 2025 looking at New Testament subject matter on the same thing. Now, I don't know how you feel about a year's worth of lessons on the Old Testament. I remember several years ago I announced at a church I was preaching at that I was going to spend the entire year on the Minor Prophets. All right? Minor prophets, that's those books in the back of the Old Testament, you know, Zechariah, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, I mean, all of those books that when the preacher says, please turn to, you just close your Bible and forget about it. I mean, by the time you get there, he's already moved on to something else. And, and so I was going to spend a year on those prophets, and, and one of the sisters in the church came up to me after church, and she said, I'm not doing that. And I said, you're not, you're not doing what? She said, I'm not going to sit here and listen to you preach on the Old Testament on books that I don't think has any relevance whatsoever to my life. I'm going to go to church somewhere else. And I said, well, God bless you. She didn't. And at the end of the year, she came up to me. She said, i got to apologize. She said, I didn't know what those books of the Old Testament meant for us today, but Man, that, that's been a wonderful journey that we've traveled as we've looked at the minor prophets. I hope you'll fa- say the same thing. But, but I realize the difficulty sometimes. You know, Paul said this about the Old Covenant. He said, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. Notice what Paul says. To teach us that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement. I don't know about you, but I need encouragement for the journey. And he says it's through that encouragement they provide us with hope. And that's what we want to accomplish this year. We want to focus on practical ways of living out the Christian life every day. Now, I know that some people would say, but but Brother Les, we're New Testament Christians. We need to focus on the New Testament. And you know what? I understand that. I mean, there is some validity to that. We also need to understand that that Christianity is not a new religion from the Old Testament. It is a continuation of the people of God. That's one of the things I think sometimes we mess up. Here is one of the first New Testament pocket Bibles. I don't know if you noticed the date there, 1863. Anybody want to guess why they published these? 1863, Civil War. Soldiers were marching off to war, and it's kind of hard to carry one of these, you know, with you when you're going off into battle. And so different publishing houses throughout the United States began to publish these little pocket New Testaments. And I I love the concept, okay? I get that. I mean, we did the same thing in World War I. We did the same thing in World War II. In fact, I knew an elder in the church who fought in World War II, And, and he told the story about how his pocket New Testament saved his life. He was carrying it literally in his uniform pocket, okay, right here over his heart. He was in battle, and he got hit with shrapnel. And one of the pieces of shrapnel went into his pocket New Testament right over his heart and pierced all the way through to the book of James. 
Then you say, why is that important? Anybody want to guess this elder's first name? James. And he says, God's word saved me literally. Not just spiritually, literally. And he would bring that New Testament and he would show it to the young people. And sure enough, you could open it up and see right where that shrapnel stopped in the book of James. All right, that's a great story. It is a great story. But, but I remember reading another guy who obeyed the gospel based on a pocket New Testament. Somebody came to him, gave him a pocket New Testament, he began to read it, decided to become a Christian, started going to church only to notice everybody else's Bibles was a lot bigger. And he's like, what, what is that? And they say, well, it's our Bible. And he says, well, here's my Bible, and it doesn't look anything like that. And he said... It was months after I became a Christian that I realized there was another whole part of the Bible I didn't have. He said, I thought, when did they add that to the Bible? And you know, sometimes that's the problem we have when we just focus so much of our attention on the New Testament and we just don't realize that that the Old Testament is our book as well. Notice, for everything that was written in the past. Paul's going to go on in the book of Romans to talk about that we Gentiles... We're not a separate group of people from God's people. Paul uses the language of the wild olive shoot and the tame olive shoot. And he talks about how that unbelieving Jews, those who rejected Jesus, were going to be broken off the root. And then those who are Gentiles were going to be grafted back in. Notice the language. If some of the branches have been broken off, the ones who rejected Jesus... And you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. He says, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. In other words, we have nothing to do with ancient Israel. That's not true at all. We're grafted into Israel. In fact, one of the things that Paul would say in Galatians chapter 6 over the battle of, of circumcision, early in the church, book of Acts, Gentiles or people like us are starting to obey the gospel. And you had Jews saying, whoa, 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 whoa. We don't need all these Gentiles coming in unless they first become Jews. You have to become Jews. You have to obey the law of, the, of Moses, of the first covenant. And the apostles got together, Peter and John and James, the half-brother of Jesus, Paul and Barnabas, and they got together and they considered this in Acts 15 and said, no. Gentiles don't have to be circumcised. They don't have to keep the law of Moses, that first covenant. And, and notice Galatians here. Certainly, certainly it doesn't matter whether a person is circumcised or not, Paul says. Rather, what matters is being a new creation, Tim. Very passage you mentioned a few moments ago. You know, coming out of Isaiah, going over to 2 Corinthians. Peace and mercy will come to rest on those who conform to this principle. They, they, we are the Israel of God. You see, the Old Testament is not written or given to a different people. It was given to us. That was given to us at a different time. In the words of the songs that Blake led, faith of our fathers. Those who, who long went before us. Yes, they had a different covenant. But we're part of the same root, the same people. Wasn't the New Testament given to Christians No. It was given to the people of God. It was given to the Jews. It was given to Israel. Look at Jeremiah 31, 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant 
Notice the language there. A new covenant. With whom? With the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. When Jesus met with the apostles in the upper room, and when he instituted the Lord's Supper, and I'll go to this text here, Luke 22, and he says, this cup is the new covenant. It was that new covenant that Jeremiah said was being made with Israel and with Judah. Now, how did we get into it? We were grafted into it. We became a part of it. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6 talks about the fact that Jesus, he had a ministry. And in that ministry that he had received, it was as superior to theirs as the covenant to which he as a mediator is superior to the old one. In other words, Jesus came to make a new covenant with the people of God. And there was a reason for that. What made this new covenant so special? Well, you go back to Jeremiah. Jeremiah describes it. He says, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. It won't be like the one that Moses made. It won't be like Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy chapter 5 or any of that Pentateuch. I mean, yes, a lot of it is like it. But there's some basic characteristics that are different. Notice what he says. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. I'll put my law in their minds. And I'll write it on their hearts. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. I want you to notice a couple of components there. First... I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. God's going to give us his word, but it's going to be different. Somehow, he's going to plant it in our minds. He's going to put it in our hearts. And you ask, how in the world does he do that? Well, Ezekiel tells us. Ezekiel, writing the same time as Jeremiah, who gave us that promise. I'll give you a new heart. Put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit. Notice the language there. I'll put my spirit in you and move you. Through that spirit, I'll move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. What's Ezekiel trying to tell us about this new covenant? He's trying to tell us that as as believers in Jesus Christ, we've been given the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us. The word that's used in the New Testament is a word called paraclete. But it simply means someone who comes alongside of you. You know, you get in legal trouble. What do you do? Well, you you call 1-800. Well, you know the numbers. You know, you call Morgan and Morgan if you want more. You call, you know, and you can go through all the names that you see on television. But we hire lawyers, lawyers who come alongside of us who, who will then help us navigate the law. Tim mentioned tax season. Now, some of y'all do your own taxes. June won't let me do that. June's like, I don't want you going to prison. I'm like, I understand. And so I go, and what do I do? I hire a CPA. Someone who comes alongside me and takes all of my finances and then figures out, okay, here's, here's what you're going, going to get back. Tim talked about going to the gym. Now, you can go to the gym and just think, well, I'll just do this on my own. But you know that you, at, at most gyms, you have people who are trained to come alongside of you and help you in learning how to do a better job in taking care of your physical health. That's the same thing the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit who is given to us comes alongside of us and helps us. Why? I mean, what's the problem? Well, under the old covenant, the problem was is that while the law was perfect, 
we were not. Have you ever noticed we're not good at keeping rules? Now, maybe you're better than I am, but boy, I tell you, rule keeping to me is tough. I mean, you're driving down the road, and I don't know how many times over this last week we went up to Ohio and back to see our, our grandkids. Our kids happened to be there, but we went to see our grandkids. And I saw a lot of people pulled over. I mean, Ohio has some of the best state troopers. Boy, they pull people over all the time. And you go, why? Because the people couldn't keep the rules. There's an old candy camera episode from years and years ago. And there were these, this open alley between these two buildings, open area there. And, and, and for a long time, there had been a fence up, just a wooden fence up, all right? Ordinary wooden fence. And people would walk past it every day and never think anything about what was behind the wooden fence. Until a candy camera came along and put up a sign. You see, right in the middle of one of those boards was a knot hole that you could look through. And they put a sign up, and here's what the sign said. Do not look through this knot hole. <laughs> and then they just waited with their camera as people started lining up, going, what are they doing? I don't know. There's a sign that says we can't look through that knot hole. What's back there? I don't know, but I'm going to find out. I mean, isn't that the way we are? Paul says that's the way we are. He says, I didn't know covetousness until the Lord said, do not covet. And then, boy, I started coveting. That's the problem we have. But God said, I'm going to remedy that. I'm going to give you a special gift. And he says, on top of that, I'm also going to forgive your wickedness. I'm going to remember your sins no more. Stan and I spent a whole quarter just recently on Wednesday nights looking at the various feast days that Jesus observed during his lifetime. Among them was a day that comes around every year for Jews called the Day of Atonement. And, and the Day of Atonement is a day when all of Israel fast and, and, and they go through penance and, and they begin their year because they have this ritual in which if you go back to the Old Testament you have the goats, one that's sacrificed, one that becomes the scapegoat and the sins of the people are placed on its head and it's sent out to the wilderness. And for a year... You know, God deals with their sins until they pile up another bunch of sins, and the next year you've got to do it all over again. And Jeremiah says the day's coming when that's not going to be the case. The day's coming when God's going to give you forgiveness once and for all. I mean, he's going to forgive your wickedness, and he's going to remember your sins no more. You turn over to Mark chapter 1, and you see John the Baptist stirring things up. When he shows up on the scene and begins the process of that transition. A lot of us read this and we just shoot past it. I mean, if you start your new daily Bible reading here tomorrow, you know, you'll start in the New Testament depending on what reading you do or what schedule you follow. But before long, you're reading about John the Baptist. But here's Mark's version. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. I love the TLC translation. It's a Jewish translation. John appeared immersing in the wilderness, proclaiming an immersion involving repentance for the removal of sins. And it, and it caused just an outcry among the religious leadership. You can't go down to the Jordan, be baptized by John, and have your sins removed. That's not the way you get rid of sins. You have to go to the temple. You have to offer the appropriate sacrifices. You have to buy the sacrifices from us, of course, but that's beside the point. And then once a year on the Day of Atonement, the entire nation will be atoned for, and then we start it all over again. 
And John says, not anymore. There's a new way of getting rid of your sins. This upset people. I mean, especially the the religious leaders, the Pharisees in particular. John chapter 4. One of the things that most believers in Jesus don't realize is that Jesus had a baptismal ministry. I mean, most of us don't realize that. We read Matthew, we read Mark, we read Luke. You know, by the time we get to John, we're starting to slack off our daily Bible reading and we don't get through John. John tells us something that Matthew and Mark and Luke doesn't tell us. I've oftentimes said John is Paul Harvey's gospel. He tells the rest of the story. Look at what he writes. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into Judea, uh, the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized. Wait a minute, what? I mean, that was at the end of his ministry. No, it was at the beginning of his ministry. In fact, look at what it goes on. They, verse 26, are disciples of John. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who is with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone's going to him. Now, John will go on to tell us that Jesus didn't do the actual baptizing. That Peter and Andrew, James, John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, his apostles were doing the baptizing. His disciples were doing it. And you're like, I mean, during his life, yes. He continued John's baptism. But it wasn't his baptism. His baptism would come at the Great Commission that most of us are very familiar with. But notice Luke chapter 7. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. The Pharisees especially. I mean, when John started preaching, they're like, this is not what the law says. He's not following the law, not recognizing that he was a prophet inspired by God himself to speak the new teaching. And so they rejected it. Pharisees refused to be baptized. I think they refused in mass. Which is why when you turn to John chapter 3, Nicodemus, a Pharisee, comes to Jesus. And he wants to know, what is this kingdom of God you're preaching? And Jesus says to him in verse 3, listen, if you want to be a part of it, you've got to be born again. And of course, Nicodemus is confused. Can I go back into my mother's womb a second time? And Jesus says, no, that's not what I'm talking about. And so in verse 5, he says, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and spirit. You've got to have this new creation. You've got to start over. But it's a birth that is found in, in, an, in an act called baptism. And, of course, you go on in John's gospel, and one of the things that Jesus will talk about is there's another element coming. Another element is coming. Another element is coming. And that element is the element of the Spirit of God. And you're going to be born of both water and Spirit. Nicodemus, you can't reject what God is doing in the world. And so how do we start this journey? I mean, we're talking about journey life, but as... As Tim so beautifully said, maybe the thing you need to do for the new year is start the journey brand new. Maybe you need to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. So how do we do that? And what's fascinating in the New Testament 
is that as Jesus is finishing his ministry, he begins to say, okay, here's what you need to do. And different apostles and teachers focused on different aspects. John, for instance. John is the gospel of faith. John says, listen, let me tell you right off the bat, you you have got to believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be. The golden text of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, it's all about faith. It's all about trust. Mark picks that up in his gospel as Jesus says, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all whoever believes. You know, you've got to believe in something. We all do. I mean, we all have something that gives us the directions we live in life. We were up in Toledo on Tuesday, and we were getting together with our family, and we were opening presents, and one of my grandson got a compass. I mean, he's big. He, he, he wants to be a farmer. He, he, I mean, he loves the woods. I mean, he is just one of these kids. I mean, he's the only kid I know who would wear overalls to school every day, and he's in kindergarten. I mean, he thinks overalls are the coolest pants ever created for men. I mean, he loves them. And, of course, he goes to a school that has uniforms, so he can't do that. But, boy, he gets home and he puts on his overalls. He's got his boots, and now he's got his compass. And, of course, what does a compass do? It gives us direction. It helps to realize which side, you know, which way is north? Which way is true north? Jesus comes along and does the exact same thing. He says, can I give you a spiritual compass that will guide your life if you'll just trust me? Our journey begins with belief or faith that God is doing something new in the world through his son, Jesus Christ. But you know that that faith that we have is not just, you know, like a light switch. You turn it on and all at once you believe And then maybe at some point in your life you turn it off. I don't know about you, but I have found that faith for me is a mixture of both belief and unbelief. Of of incredible confidence and then sometimes doubt. That's the way I live my life. I I love this text that comes out of Mark chapter 9 where a man brings his son to the apostles. And he says, listen, my son has a demon. It's torturing him. Can you do something? The apostles try. They can't. Jesus shows up, comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration. He's got Peter and James and John with him. And he says, what's going on? And the man says, I brought him to your disciples and hoped that they could help him, but they couldn't. If you could help him. And Jesus says, if? Are you serious? He says, if you have faith this small. And the man, of course, cries out and he says, I do believe. Look what he says next. Help me overcome my unbelief. I think that's what it's like to journey with God. There will be times when your faith is strong and there's going to be times when your faith is tested. There are going to be times that you're like, God, I'm all in. There are going to be other times when you're like, God, I'm just not sure this is worth it. And all God wants you to do is just keep on trying. Keep on growing as best you can. Mark would go on to add not only whoever believes but is baptized. Again, picking up that that immersion in water that marks a point of where you are making a transition in your life. The thing, however, about about Mark as well as Matthew is that it's not John's baptism anymore that they're going to be practicing. 
This is Jesus' baptism. It's the one who believes in Jesus, who is baptized in Jesus, who will be saved, and the one who does not believe in Jesus who will be condemned. Matthew focuses on that baptismal part. You know, you turn to the Great Commission in Matthew 28, he doesn't even mention faith. He just kind of assumes that faith's going to come as a result of preaching the gospel. But he says, when you make disciples, you baptize them, you immerse them, but you do it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I was talking to a lady recently, and she had been baptized only to have some friends tell her, you, you, you don't need to put your trust in your baptism. You know, baptism is not important at all. And, and, and I wanted to say to her, and I did say to her, I said, well, I said, you have to ignore some people because here's the problem with saying baptism is not important. My Jesus asked me to be baptized. And whatever my Jesus asked me to do has got to be important or he wouldn't ask me to do it. And it's not only that he asked me to do it, but he said in doing it, the Father, he does something. The Son, he does something. The Spirit, he does something. God declares us to be his children. Jesus washes our sin away with his own blood. And the Spirit says, now I can come and take up residence in them and live in them and help them to become what we have created them to be. Luke will focus, of all things, on repentance. I mean, he comes in and he talks about repentance and the importance of it. This is what is written, Jesus said. The Messiah will suffer, rise from the dead, and on the third day, on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. Luke knows what Matthew wrote. He knows what Mark wrote. And he comes along and he says, can I emphasize this importance of repentance? You turn over to Acts, written by the same person, Luke. You have Peter preaching the first gospel sermon, the very thing that we just read about, death, burial, resurrection, and exaltation. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He has ascended to the throne of David. He's sitting at the right hand of God, and he's now king of kings, and he's Lord of lords. And their response is, brothers, what do we do? We've crucified the Messiah. How do we even respond to that? And Peter says, you need to repent. You need to repent. Acts 3 in the voice, I love it. I mean, it nails it 100%. Peter's preaching again later on, and he says, so now you need to rethink everything. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It's a willingness to say, I've got to think differently about everything through the lens of Jesus the Messiah. And then notice, and then I've got to turn to God. Paul would do the same thing over in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Once again, from the voice. I love the voice translation sometimes. Now, this type of deep sorrow, he's talking about repentance. This type of deep sorrow, godly sorrow, is not so much about regret, but it's about producing a change of mind. It's about thinking differently about everything, is the way Peter says it. And... That results in a change of behavior that ultimately leads to salvation. Worldly repentance only leads to regret. So Jesus calls us, repent. Change the way you think about everything. And then change the way you live as a result of that. And then he goes on and says, and be baptized. But notice, not because John said so, 
every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus the Messiah. You do it because he asked you to do it. I tell people all the time, different faith traditions have debated baptism forever. I mean, they argue and they debate and they fight over it. And I oftentimes try to tell people, you know, if we just did what Jesus said and quit arguing over the things that he didn't say, we'd all be so much better off. You know, one of the big debates is, when does God save a person? At what moment? And my response when someone asks me that is real simple. I'm pretty sure God knows. Therefore, I don't have to worry about it. I just do what he says and trust he's going to do what he said he would do. And the end result, Peter said, will be the forgiveness of sins. Those sins are forgotten forever. And God says, you don't have to just keep going back over and over and over again. You just trust in me and walk with my son Jesus and live with the accordance of the Spirit, and it'll all be all right. Notice, you'll receive that gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians, all of us with no covering on our faces, going back to when Moses gave the first covenant, show the shining greatness of the Lord as in a mirror. Do you believe that? Do you believe when people see you, they see Jesus? I'm here to tell you that they should. I hope they do. doesn't mean you're perfect doesn't mean reflection is spot on. In fact, notice what he says. All the time we're being changed to look like him with more and more of his shining greatness. By the way, those of you who are like me getting older, have you ever noticed that as you get older you begin to look like your parents? Have you ever noticed that? I mean, you begin to talk like your parents, you begin to walk like your parents, you begin to... I remember the first time I went into the bathroom one morning, turned on the light, looked in the mirror, and my dad was staring at me. I'm serious as a heart attack. I, I almost just fell out. I'm like, when did I start looking like him? Now, Gene will tell you I don't look anything like my dad, but boy, he was staring back at me that morning, I promise you. Jesus wants us to look in the mirror and see him staring back. A little bit more every day. And I hope as we start 2024, we'll honor that. And by the way, notice the last verse there, the last sentence. This change is from the Lord who is working through His Spirit. That's how it's done. Matthew 28 then says, once you've joined the journey, then you need to begin to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And that's what we want to, that's what we want to explore this year. We want to get down into just the daily walk of the Christian life and say, okay, what do we learn from so-and-so on how to walk this journey when you deal with these issues? What do we learn from this lady about how to live the life when you're dealing with these issues? And so we're going to be exploring what does it mean every day to continue to shape our life into the image of the one that we confessed when we were baptized. And so... At the end of 2023, can I ask you a question? Where are you spiritually? How's your journey going? And if you've never started a journey with God, why don't you start the new year off great 
by saying, I'm going to begin 2024 by beginning a journey with the one who died for me and was raised for me. We're here to assist you in that. Uh, I'll be down front. We have men who have name tags that say elders. They'll be scattered around the building. If you have need, go and grab one of them and say, hey, I'd like to be baptized, and they'll set it up. Or, hey, I'd like to have prayers. They'll be glad to pray with you. We'd be honored to help you in any way that we can. Just let us know how. You can do that right now as we stand and sing.